Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greg Pallas, the investigative journalist, author, his latest, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy and How Trump Stole 2020. <laughs> also another prescient guy here. GregPallas.com, his website, Greg underscore Pallas, his Twitter handle is on the line with us. And Greg, you've been looking into what happened down in New Mexico. This is the weirdest story ever. Tell us about it. Well, it may be weird, but it's it's more than a curiosity. It's very dangerous. In New Mexico, one county, Otero County, which I believe includes Las Cruces, um, voted not to certify the results of their uh, June primary election. Now, who cares uh, about New Mexico in some nutcases? The the commissioners included, by the way, uh, Cui Griffin, who is known as um, head of Cowboys, for uh, Trump. He was arrested on January 6th, wasn't he? Uh, yes, and I believe convicted too of uh, breaking of, um, of illegal entry into the Capitol grounds. Yeah. So, so you have a January 6th rioter, uh, a cowboy, and um, uh, so they voted not to certify the vote. Now you have a Democratic and actually quite alert Secretary of State for the state of New Mexico, which is uh, trying to override this decision and is going to uh, court to require the certification of the vote. Now, we might consider this a weird curiosity, some kind of uh, uh, um, kind of uh, cowboy, um, uh, an old Western that we can forget about. The thing is, is that this is the beginning of a movement for non-certification of votes this is this is what Martin Luther King referred to as nullification. Null, that's right. This is nullification. Uh, and in fact, there was a, the, the nullification crisis. John C. Calhoun back in what was it, eighteen thirty-six, if I'm remembering right. Yes, and was you also all about had the, them doing this in the South back then. And yes, in, in uh, January sixth of eighteen seventy-seven, the United States Congress refused to certify the electoral vote win by yep. Tilden. That's my, that's my op-ed today at HartmanReport.com. You got to read well, it. Well, there, there you it. go. <laughs> And you just busted me because that means I haven't read it yet. Um, <laughs> but Jan yes, January 6, 1877. So the idea that what happened with uh, on January 6th of 21 has never happened before and can't happen again. That's whistling past the graveyard. Yep. Now, the, the grounds in this case for not certifying the vote is an old chestnut of the right and some on the left that uh, they have were using Dominion voting machines, which were con somehow controlled by Hugo Chavez from beyond the grave of Venezuela and George Soros. He's always in it somehow. And um, the thing is, is that 
they're confusing uh, Dominion voting machines with Smartmatic voting machines. And only Los Angeles County is the only place in America that uses Smartmatic, which was indeed uh, created by friends of Hugo Chavez. And by the way, oddly, at my suggestion, uh, that's another story. Really? Uh, I was kind of joking. Yeah, I told uh, President Chavez, I said, he's, I said, if you really want uh, to remove Bush, then just have an honest vote count, buy a vote counting machine uh, company and make sure that the count is straight. And he did. Uh, but uh, Dominion, but it was a Dominion machine, not Smartmatic. Uh, these guys can't even get their um, uh, their Soros uh, deck straight. <laughs> but here's the problem. Here's the problem. If it was just some wacky County in New Mexico, and it wouldn't mean anything on, on their elections. My problem is I just spent a month in Georgia speaking with Al Pearson, lawyer for the Harvard Law Project, Gerald Griggs, the new president and a great lawyer and president of the NAACP in Georgia. And they're very concerned about non-certification of the votes under the new Georgia law, SB202. Now, what makes it dangerous is once again, Brian Kemp, who in 2018 made himself governor because he was secretary of state. Right. He, he bent the rule. He, he bent threw the enough rules. people off the voting rolls. That, yes, uh, about yeah. 340,000 by our count, wrongly. Whoa. Um, and thus and, he won the election by what, 50,000 votes? 50,000 votes. So, And Stacey Abrams said, look, it was stolen from me. So now they're up for rematch. And of course, Reverend Senator Warnock, if he, the Democrat who was just elected in the special election in 21, to fill out a seat. So he has to run again, now against Herschel Walker, uh, Trump's uh, designated candidate. The problem is if Warnock loses, that's the end of uh, Democratic control of the Senate. Very important is that Brian Kemp has taken over, that is under SB 202, you no longer have the county boards of election, which were not too bad uh, in holding the line against uh, pressures from Trump and others. So they now have passed a law taking away the power from not only the, the county boards, but also the secretary of state. Instead, it goes to a special new state commission headed by appointees of Brian Kemp himself. So once again, he's in charge of his own election and two other cronies, the heads of the uh, of the legislative branches in Georgia, which are ultra right They're They're even to the right of Kemp. Right. And they so in other words, you have this highly partisan state board, which will determine whether to certify any county's elections. So and they can just look at problem. Fulton County, which is Atlanta, the largest collection of probably, I, you know better than me, the largest collection of black votes in Georgia and say, oh, yes. we're not going to certify that county. That's exactly what we were talking about. And to show that they will exact this power, Helen Butler, who is the head of the Reverend Joseph Lowry's voting rights organization, was also a commissioner on the elections board in Morgan County. The day after SB 202 was signed, they removed her. They said because she was with a voting rights organization, she was uh, not too partisan to look over the vote. But she also was the one who, my co-plaintiff, suing Brian Kemp successfully. So this is revenge. She sued with me, Brian Kemp, successfully to open his files on his various methods of purging voters. So this is very dangerous that they could say, oh, um, there are these, you know, remember the film 2000 Mules? That's no joke. If these if they're saying, oh, this county had too many drop boxes and suspicious votes, we are not going to certify the drop box vote. We're not going to certify absentee ballots, et cetera. And already the secretary of state trying to prove that he's actually still um, while he faced Raffin's Raffin's perjure. 
I mean, literally, already, that's his name for people who don't realize That's his name, Perger. People like, oh, Perger, but it's Perger. Yeah. And uh, that uh, he has already accused 2,000 people of voting illegally from out of state. He's accused 1,000 people of voting twice. He makes a big hoo-ha, holds a press conference, again, creating this vote fraud hysteria and the grounds for nullification of various counties' votes or various precincts. We were wondering, are they going to get into the precinct level? So it's really dangerous. It's dangerous in uh, Georgia, and it's dangerous in Texas. So we're very, very concerned that in these swing states, you're going to have nullification of various counties' votes, and that will swing it. Right. So is Stacey Abrams and her group, I mean, you know, there's there's a bunch of groups who are standing in the way of this, but do they have a chance? I mean, is, is, this is... Well, one of, one, of the, uh, one of the problems is that no one's tested the new powers of nullification right. and non-certification yet right. in court. Because you have the problem with courts. This is one thing I've found in talking to all the voting rights lawyers and being involved in these cases. You're either too early, they say, well, it's not an issue now, or they say it's too late because it's last minute. We have a problem. We had the uh, January 6th committee heard testimony from Ben Ginsburg which hardly got noticed, but that right. he's the a very Republican dangerous lawyer. cat. Yeah. He said, yes, well, Trump lost this and he should stop complaining. But he's also the guy who argued successfully before the Supreme Court in Gore versus Bush right. that the Florida legislature, not the voters, but um, and it's true if you read the U.S. Constitution, the legislatures d- determine. Oh, uh, in, the, in, the, in, in my article slate. today over at HartmanReport.com, I point out, and I've got links back to the original 2000 articles published, like in the Miami Herald, that after that 2000 election, as it was being disputed, Jeb Bush held a press conference and said he was willing to sign legislation if it was submitted to him by the Florida legislature, the House and Senate, awarding the electoral votes to his brother, George W. Bush, even if the recount ordered by the state Supreme Court found that Al Gore got more votes. Because the 12th Amendment clearly says, and the Constitution clearly says, that it's up to the state legislature what electors get sent to Washington, D.C., not to the voters, not to the people. And, this is very, mm-hmm. and Bush held a press conference saying, yeah, I'll do this. I'm going to put my brother in. Well, in, in fact, so what I'm very concerned about with Georgia, and I keep going back to Georgia because, as you know, it was a swing state for the presidential election. It was a swing state for the uh, electing two Democratic senators by a hair. Yeah. Under the new SB 202 signed by Kemp, the legislature, his board and the legislature can overrule any county, can determine the electors. It strengthened the ability of the legislature and this kind of little political cabal that he's put together called the State Elections Board that they will have the say and not the county clerks who tend to be pretty honest. As right. They tend to be, you know, volunteer election geeks. Yeah. Or, or they even, are even you know, technicians. Yeah. Or, and yeah. when they're including the technicians at, in the Republican controlled offices and that frustrated them in 2020 and 2021, you, they couldn't bend. The, when they talk about bending the secretary of state, the problem is he could only bend the the county. Yeah, same thing in Michigan. By so much. Yeah. You had that guy in, uh, I think it was Macomb County, who refused to go along with Trump's demand that he, and he was a Republican, you know, that he yes. refused to certify the Democratic vote. So that's why they're moving to more powers for the legislature. I think that that giving Ben Ginsburg a platform uh, is very dangerous. You know, we don't want to have Trump derangement syndrome that anyone who's against Trump must be a wonderful person. I'm very concerned about the nullification of the vote in, in many states, as well as the it combines with the massive purging of the voter rolls. Of course, in Georgia, we have 
a, a repeat of what was the, the, you know, the Texas vigilante law where you turn in someone having an abortion. And in Georgia, it's, it's in some ways worse because of the numbers. You can turn in anyone for being an illegal voter. As a, so it's a vigilante voter law. And like I say, I spoke to one woman who handed, handed in a thumb drive 32,000 voters of people she challenged. And of course, including a major Gamaliel Turner, who was assigned to Fort Wayne, in California. So they, they blocked him from having his uh, absentee vote counted. Right. This is the type of game that they'll be playing on a mass scale, and it's gotten really no attention. So if they say that all these challenged voters are in a certain precinct or in a certain county, well, they can say now it taints the whole county. Uh, the whole county's vote is, is suspect, so we're not going to count it, or we're not going to count these certain precincts. Uh, it's, it's a very, very dangerous new thing. And this is and not I, just yeah. happening in Georgia, Greg. This is right. happening in Texas. This is happening in Florida. This is happening in states all, all over the country. Well, one of the things I'm very concerned about is that Texas, Florida, Georgia, um, and Alaska uh, just joined the, um, the ERIC uh, voter purge system, which supposedly um, hunts down double voters, people registered in two states. Now, this is son of crosscheck. We used to right. remember this years ago. Crosscheck 2.0. This is crosscheck 2.0. And uh, we thought we had defeated Crosscheck uh, through a major of my uh, journal journalistic writings, but also ACLU won a suit against it, which the whole program was shut down, created by Chris Kobach, supposedly finding people named, believe it or not, Jose Garcia registered in two states. And I, I laugh about it, but that's exactly what they were doing there, finding Jose Garcia's and Rodriguez's and Johnson's and, you know, and Levy's. And uh, saying that they're all double voters. I'm worried already if you have a guy like Raffenspurge of Georgia talking about double voters. What I'm worried about is not just purging ahead of the election, but saying this is tainted. These so-called double voters taint the vote of a precinct or taint the vote of a county. And those votes get challenged or knocked off, including at the last minute. One of the things that the Harvard Law Project uh, uh, lawyer was saying to me is he's worried about the fact that we may have hundreds of thousands of votes challenged under this Georgia law on Election Day. Wow. And that so, you know, you see a bunch of black people and you challenge them one by you know, all the way down the line. Right. And their votes don't get counted then. We got a big job ahead of us here, Craig, <laughs> blowing this up. Greg Palace, the great Greg Palace, to investigate journey. GregPalace.com. You can read all about it. Greg, thanks for dropping by. You're welcome, Tom. Always great having you. Quick math the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
there's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Trump's secret plan was no secret. You can find it over at HartmanReport.com. And by the way, it's got all the links, including to the historical documents, including to an article written in The Atlantic in the 1870s about how what Trump tried to do in 2020, having Mike Pence not certify the election, is exactly what Republicans did in 1876. Now, those of you who are longtime listeners to the program remember back in March, March 13th, actually, of 2020. Now, this is eight months before the election. In fact, I think this was before Biden had even won the primary or right around the time that he won the primary. I think the South Carolina vote and all that kind of stuff was happening. So we didn't even know that it was going to be Biden versus Trump, if if my recollection is correct. Um, But in any case, eight months before the election, I wrote an op-ed for alternate.org, and it got picked up by a few other sites, pointing out that I was hearing from Republicans that I knew in Washington, D.C., that there were Republicans talking about using the 12th Amendment to overturn the election if Trump lost. Now, what does this mean? Well, this happened back in 1876, and here's how it happened. In 1876, the, uh, the two people running for president were Sam Tilden, he was the Democrat, and Rutherford B. Hayes, he was the Republican. And Sam Tilden won the election. He, he won the, the electoral vote and he won the popular vote. The problem was that there were four states, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, and Oregon. The three southern states were under the under the control of the Northern Army, the Union Army at the time. This was during Reconstruction. And Oregon was under control of the Klan. And those four states had submitted dueling slates of electors to Congress. They had submitted a slate of electors for Tilden and a slate of electors for Hayes. And so Congress, so the, the, the president pro tem of the Senate, which is typically the vice president, in 2020 it was Mike Pence, back in 1876 it should have been the vice president, but the vice president was dead. He had died and not been replaced. So then it goes to the oldest or longest serving member of the Senate, which is the president pro tem, which would be Chuck Grassley right now. Which might be why on January 5th, before the day before January 6th, Chuck Grassley said that he was going to count the votes. Oh, this is interesting. See, that only happens if the vice president has been hanged. But in any case, so the, the, the vice president was dead in 1876. He was a, he was a Democrat. And the, but the president pro tem of the Senate, just like Chuck Grassley, was a Republican. So the president pro tem of the Senate opens the votes and he says, we've got four states with competing slates of electors. And so we're going to challenge this election and throw it to the House of Representatives. Now, the House of Representatives was, and and the states at that point in time, were majority Democratic. And the Republicans in the House threatened war, literally threatened war. They said they were going to restart the Civil War. 
if the Democrats didn't compromise. And so the compromise that they worked out in 1876 was the Democrats said, okay, keep in mind, these were mostly Southern Democrats. They were still, you know, bound to the Confederacy. So the Democrats in 1876 said, our goal, it, you know, if, if our guy becomes president or not, is not as important to us as ending Reconstruction. We want you to pull the northern troops out of the southern states and basically stab black people in the back. And so the Republicans said, okay, we'll, we'll take that deal. If you'll put our guy who lost the electoral vote and lost the popular vote, just like Trump did, if you'll put our guy in the White House, Rutherford B. Hayes, then we will stab black people in the back, we will pull the, the, the northern troops out of the south, we will end Reconstruction, and we will set back black progress for a century. And the Democrats took the deal. And that's how Rutherford B. Hayes became president. So I laid this out eight months before 2020. Now, I'm not suggesting that John Eastman read my article. I mean, I, you know, I... As I said, I, I was hearing this from Republicans in Washington, D.C. In fact, I've, I've, even as much as a year before that, I had heard Republicans talking about this. This was not a new idea. The Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas co-authored an opinion with Scalia and Rehnquist, who are both dead. But Clarence Thomas co-authored an opinion for the U.S. Supreme Court saying this very thing, that if states submitted multiple electors, it was up to, it, it would get, the, the election would get thrown to the House of Representatives, and members of the House of Representatives would simply convey the votes of the states, and the majority of states, of course, are controlled by Republicans right now, and they were in 2020, and so whoever is the Republican nominee for president will become president, period. Now, there are solutions to this problem. There are ways to fix this problem. Number one, we need to change the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which was supposed to fix the problem in the first place. And by the way, today during these hearings, what you're going to hear laid out is how the Republicans were conspiring to, to either force Mike Pence to do this or get him out of the way so that Chuck Grassley could do it. It's going to be, uh, one of the things I'm going to be looking for is to see if anybody actually mentions the fact that Chuck Grassley the day before had said that he was going to count the vote. Because he would have been in a position to say, oh, look at this, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, they've all submitted two slates of electors. Wisconsin, they've submitted two slates of electors. There's the real slate of electors saying Joe Biden won the presidency, and then there's the phony slate of electors that Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman organized saying that Trump won the election. So I'm going to throw this to the House where, of course, Trump will get elected. It could have happened. It happened before. It happened in 1876. As I said, I lay out the whole, all the details, the whole story, all the links, the whole backstory at today's HartmanReport.com. It's titled... Well, the original piece was titled, We Need to Plan Now in Case Trump Loses in November but Refuses to Leave the White House. That was the, art, that was the headline for, for my article uh, back in, in March of 2020. Actually, I didn't write the headline. It was, it was written by the people at IMI. I had a different headline for it saying Trump is planning to steal the election. But 
the, the headline for my piece today at HartmanReport.com is titled, Trump's secret plan was no secret. And it was no secret. Everybody's acting like, oh my God, what a revelation. Holy cow, who knew? We didn't have any idea. Well, I told you. <laughs> you know, I talked about it on the radio for a week back in March of 2020. I reminded everybody of it in, in uh, November and December of 2020 when Trump tried to pull this off. I don't know why everybody is so surprised and shocked. Well, I guess they weren't listening to my program. But anyhow, this is Steve Bannon's plan, too. This is the Tom Hartman program. And now we find that uh, Bush's torture memo guy, John Yu, who's now a federal judge, he actually had authored an, uh, an article suggesting the same thing. And this whole scheme to say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just throw the election to the House of Representatives. Now, it's going to be fascinating to see, apparently, one of the other big themes of the hearings, that there is an ongoing threat. Now, we got, you know, Congressman Barry Loudermilk of uh, Georgia is taking a lot of heat right now because the, the uh, seditionists that he gave a, a tour of the Capitol to so that they could take pictures of stairways and entrances and exits and security checkpoints, um, you know, he got busted for that, and he's all over the news. But apparently there, you know, Representative Davis was involved in something like this, uh, at least from, you know, what I'm seeing reported on the, in the media. And, of course, there were early allegations that, uh, you know, Boebert and, and uh, uh, Gates, you know, that that crowd, basically, the, the uh, sedition caucus, as it were, that they were involved in, in tours also, although I have not seen any specific evidence of that. And it sure looks to me like in one of those videos where the guy who said that he was going to rip out Nancy Pelosi's hair, I'm coming for you, Nancy, that guy was taking a picture of the hallway that leads down to the, to the trains. And it sure looks to me like that's Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert walking out together. But they weren't leading a tour. So, you know, if somebody saw them with... Barry Loudermilk's tour, maybe they thought that's what, what it was all about. So we'll, we'll find out as we get to the hearings. It's going to get interesting. Also, Mark Short. Mark Short is, uh, or was, Mike Pence's chief of staff. So he was like Mark Meadows was to, to Trump. He was the guy who was in the room for basically everything and knew what was going on and, knew, and knows where the bodies are buried and all that kind of stuff. Um, he is not going to be testifying in person. I'm guessing the reason for that is that well, who knows? Who knows the reason? I was going to say, I'm guessing the reason is that maybe he would be like a hostile witness, but I have seen him in the media not behaving like a hostile witness. But apparently they're going to be playing clips from his depositions. And they're going to look at uh, efforts by the Trump campaign to, to create these false electors, these phony electors. As I, you know, as I pointed out, we had uh, Alabama, South Carolina, Florida, and, uh, and Oregon submitted two slates of electors in the 1876 election. That's the precedent for this. Now, at that point in time, you know, one slate of electors was basically submitted by the Democrats in each of those states, and one was submitted by the Republicans in each of those states. And Congress was saying, you know, we're not going to figure out which one's right. Here now, today, with better information and state-of-the-art vote counting and all this kind of stuff, it's pretty clear that the electors for Joe Biden were real, were legitimate. That was not the case back then. There's a new poll out about what happened with the first hearings. You'll recall the first hearings were televised in prime time, evening, an evening broadcast in prime time. This is a, a Yahoo News YouGov poll. The 
First of all, it shows that 55% of Democrats and 53% of Republicans believe it is likely that America will, quote, cease to be a democracy in the future, end quote. That's pretty grim stuff. Half of America doesn't think we're going to be a democracy. Half of America thinks that we're going to follow the path that Viktor Orban trod, that Vladimir Putin trod, to create a, uh, what you could call a soft oligarchy. It's still soft in Hungary. It's, it's brutally hard in Russia. But, you know, for example, in Hungary, all of the media is owned by oligarchs who are friends of Viktor Orban, the, the president. In the last year, he ran for re-election, Viktor Orban, and he won overwhelmingly. What they don't tell you when they tell you that is that it's been two years since the guy he ran against had one single media appearance. There were no presidential debates. By the way, did I point out to you that Republicans have pulled out of the presidential debates for 2024? They've already announced it. No debates. We're not going to do it. There were no debates in Hungary. And the, the equivalent of the Democratic candidate, the opposition candidate, literally was not interviewed even once on television in the two years leading up to the election. This is, you know, and of course CPAC went over and did their, did their conference from Hungary. This is their plan. Just like the January 6th attack on Mike Pence and on the Capitol building was predicted eight months in advance by yours truly, by the way, in that article back in March of 2020, I predicted that there was going to be violence in Washington, D.C. that day. Not only that, but now we have half of Democrats and Republicans saying, well, you know, yeah, it's just going to be like, like Hungary. We're just going to be like Russia. Now, compounding this, why would half of Americans say this? Well, you and I, the, the political junkies out here, <laughs> we know who we are, right? follow politics closely, the high information voters, as it were. And when I say low information voters, I never mean that as a slur. I was a low information voter. I was telling Sean about this for the, you know, there were a few years there when Louise and I were running a, a community for abused kids and I was traveling around the world opening, you know, uh, uh, international relief, you know, famine relief centers. And we took over a, a leper colony and a home for blind kids in India. And all, I mean, you know, I was in Uganda during the Civil War there when Idi Amin was being run out of the country. Just, you know, I was not paying attention to politics. I was busy. So there are a lot of people like that. Well, apparently, only 24% of Americans watched that primetime presentation. Now, I don't think the number could actually be that high. 24% of Americans say that they watched it, but the official numbers were 20 million which is still a lot of people. I mean, that's more than watch the Super Bowl, but still, that's not 24% of Americans. 27% of Americans say they caught the news coverage later, but 49% of Americans have said they have not watched the hearings. They're not following the hearings. They're not paying attention to the hearings. They don't care about the news of the hearings. That's 49% of Americans, which might be why 52%, 53% of Americans think that there's going to be no more democracy. 55% of Democrats. Viewership of the hearings was lowest among Donald Trump voters. Only 9% of Trump voters watched the hearings. Only 13% of Republicans watched the hearings. Only 22% of Fox viewers said that they've been paying attention 
The highest viewership was among Biden voters, 47 percent, Democrats, 44 percent, and viewers of MSNBC, 52 percent. Nearly three quarters of all the people who did watch, and again, this is a relatively small number of people, nearly three quarters to 72 percent specifically of the people who did watch the hearings say that they were Democrats. Only 37% of Americans right now believe that there was a conspiracy to steal the White House and that Donald Trump was at the center of it. Pretty amazing stuff. So Pete Aguilar is going to be apparently the lead guy, like Zoe Lofgren was a couple days ago, on this pressure campaign to take out Pence. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It has started. The uh, New Mexico Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, on Tuesday asked the state Supreme Court to order Otero County to certify the 7,000-some-odd votes in that county. The county, the county commissioners are uh, right-wing, Trumpy conspiracy nuts who are refusing to certify the election. And, like, well, and, and because they haven't certified it, we don't know if they're refusing to certify it because they lost or because they're just being obstinate. But here we have the first, this is the first crack, as it were, in democracy. It's in New Mexico, and you know the, these uh, uh, right-wingers are saying, no, nope, we're not going to count the votes. Members of the Otero County Commission include Cowboys for Trump co-founder Coy Griffin, who ascribes to unsubstantiated claims that Trump won the 2020 election. He was convicted of illegally entering restricted U.S. Capitol grounds amid the riots on January 6th and is scheduled for sentencing later this month. He acknowledged that the standoff over this primary could delay the outcome of local election races. Right. This is, uh, this is amazing. Uh, Trump won over 60% of the vote in Otero County in 2020, but Griffin conducted a, a door-to-door audit anyway, you know, presumably, in my mind anyway, presumably to try to intimidate voters. Also, a couple of other uh, notes here. Uh, these are both from rawstory.com. Right-wing extremists charged in the ca- U.S. Capitol threat threatened to gas lawmakers in the tunnels where Representative Barry Loudermilk led a tour the previous day. He led 15 uh, people through this, uh, through this tunnel. And the next day, of course, they were saying, we're, com- we're coming to take you. 
as you heard just you know a few minutes ago. There was a group of three Oath Keepers who were particularly interested in lawmakers' movements in the tunnels underneath the Capitol complex. And one of them, Thomas Edward Caldwell, uh, said, uh, received a message on Facebook saying, quote, all members are in the tunnels under the Capitol. Seal them in. Turn on the gas. Wow. This is amazing. And also, the article by Sarah Burroughs, on rawstory.com. Proud Boy's guide reveals plans to infiltrate capital using a covert sleeper and block traffic to keep the cops out. In the March indictment of Proud Boy's leader Henry Enrique Tario, prosecutors cited a plan titled 1776 Returns. And uh, it had a Google Maps screen capture of the U.S. Capitol, including entrance points. Read directions carefully, it said. Fill the buildings with patriots and communicate our demands to main control, maintain control over a select few, but crucial buildings in the D.C. area for a set period of time. We need people as, po- as many people as possible inside these buildings. They are, these are our buildings. They are just renting space. We must show our politicians that we the people are in charge. Have exits and second stay, have leads and second stay inside the building until called upon execution time. Scope out the entrances and exits. If possible, be in the building first thing in the morning. Be dressed in suits and unsuspecting. Do not look tactical at all. We'll help you block traffic. Now is the time to reach out to truckers or bikers for Trump for these roadblocks. With a large caravan, simply have cars block intersections. Ideally, one should halt the flow of cars where Independence Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue meet. And it goes on. Basically, it's a plan to commit a coup. It's incredible. It's incredible. Bob in Skokie, Illinois. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? I don't know if you saw, because I haven't heard you talk about it, but there was an acquisition by George Soros and a group that also included Eva Longoria two weeks ago. They bought 20 Spanish-speaking talk stations. Yeah, I saw that. that. I thought it was 18, but yeah. Yeah, it's a 20, and I don't know if you've mentioned it on the air or not, but I, I thought, you know, considering all the mentions you've made about that particular segment being something that should be uh, uh, focused on by Democrats anyway. Secondly, maybe more importantly, um, I remembered this morning something, and I looked it up, and you had even talked with Barton Gelman about this two years ago, before the 2020 election, about the Trump campaign actually reaching out to swing state legislators and trying to set up some could-be plans in case Trump actually did lose the election. Um, and I found it fascinating as I was rereading it <clears throat> this morning, and I just wonder if the 1-6 people have any idea about that. And maybe I've, I've just sent a note to Gelman um, about it and asked him, have you contacted 1-6? Because it would really show uh, that Trump did realize his people or his people did that he was going to lose or had a good chance of losing. Oh, I think and he they knew were that. Hedging their bets. I think he knew that by April, May of 2020. Because I the, think he did, too. Because yeah, the economy had gone into crapper. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this stuff out. And, and you know, he knew it. And, and, and that's when he started talking about fraud. And that's when he started laying the groundwork, although he had done the same thing in 2016, you'll recall. He was he was you know, promising that he was that there was fraud in 2016 because he was preparing to lose. And Roger Stone, the whole stop the steal thing, 
Um, you know, Roger had that ready to go for 2016, and they set it aside for 2020. And then back mm -hmm. in 2000, Roger Stone was the guy who organized the Stop the Count thing down in Florida. So, yeah. you know, I'm seeing his fingerprints all over this thing, and, and I don't think that any of this was spontaneous. And, and I think that there's a much larger and deeper plot here that needs to be exposed. Uh, thanks a lot for the call. Aaron in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? It's interesting with that call. I've also been going back and looking at things since the hearings came up, and I've been watching the live coverage of that day. I wanted to watch different channels, and, you know, as they're doing, it's in the chambers and the certification, and suddenly they're going to pictures of people outside and rioting and such, and right. watching that evolve, you know. I Part of me recommends it for historical sake. Part of me does not because of the PTSD uh, that comes up as you watch, the, yeah. the fear that comes back, wells back up, as I remember that day, and... Uh, so uh, CBS, I watched them 11 hours of coverage or something. I must be insane. Um, Nora O'Donnell and Major Garrett are there, and Kevin McCarthy, minority leader at the time, calls in and says, I've just talked to the president in the White House, and I've told him to tell everybody to go home. And both of the hosts are, are gog and like, wow, this is huge news. What did he say? Both of them ask him. They each ask him this, and both times, instead of, McCarthy answering and saying what the president said after this request to call off this violent mob that's attacked our capital, he repeats what he told him. I told him this isn't who we are. I said you have right. to go out there. And that's because what and Trump said was, well, they're, they're more interested in the election than you are, Kevin. Right, exactly. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, if you're any person and you're thinking, okay, so you, you're the president, you get a call. If, if Trump really wanted this to be peaceful, as he said, and it was just a peaceful protest and he just wanted voices heard, right? When Kevin says that, you go, you're right, Kevin, I'm going to get right on TV right now and do that. It's 40 some minutes later before he finally tells them to go home. Right. And that, and that's, that's the point at which it's obvious that his plot has failed. And, and by the way, right. during that time, he was trying to get the Secret Service to get him down to the Capitol so that he could march in right. and, and do the I, Claudius, you know, do the complete coup. Aaron, thank you for the call. Daryl in Bainbridge Island, Washington. Hey, Daryl, thanks for listening to KBCS. Hi, What's on your mind? In 1907, a James Casey started the American Messenger Company. Um, approximately 60, 70 years later, there was a snowstorm that debilitated the uh, post office and they subcon the post office subcontracted off to this company by this time it changed its name to united parcel services and um today i just found out on online that uh, their main thrust is uh, family programs fostering children it's uh, named after James Casey's mother, Annie E. Casey. You must have heard that name on liberal radio over the I've, years. I've correct? heard it on uh, NPR, yeah. The, the correct, Annie correct. E. Casey they, Foundation funds them. Correct. And and they give uh, money to various organizations, I think transsexuals. Uh, they're, they're like us, mm -hmm. uber liberals. Yeah. And... Um, I think this fostering children goes very could go very well with saving children uh, that are going to come out of um, the Roe versus Wade. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, well, the end of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Yeah, the end of it. There you go. Because there's going to be a lot of kids out there needing fostering. Correct. Yeah, yeah Don't you I think, think so. Yeah. So I you, you just wanted to flag that. 
Yes, yes, okay. we, we, we need to write any that foundation in Seattle or in 8th Avenue about five minutes walk from my office and uh, and let them know if that goes through, which it sounds like you're, it's going to, um, putting it down. Yeah, we, they I, should. I, they I should. It. They to, should increase. They should increase their. I got output. it. Okay, I got it. Daryl, thank you. Thank you very much, Scott in Seattle. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Thank you. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, and he was sort of taking the uh, oil companies' point of view from uh, regarding this, like the you know our gas price and all that kind of stuff. And what he was saying. You mean he was repeating um, the uh, Republican talking points that it's all Biden's fault, uh, that, that he cut off the leases no, he was, and he shut down the pipeline? Neither, neither of which are no, well, largely true. But No, he, he was saying, okay, when that the like, oil companies lost uh, more than $20 billion and had to borrow $30 billion to maintain uh, like um, their investments and prepare for the post-pandemic demand. And then he was went on to say that um, their position is that, it. like, and, and then um, he was um, during the pandemic, like the government helped everybody except for the oil companies, you know, with bailouts and whatnot. And then that their uh, position is that um, we put them in this situation by expecting them to spend billions of dollars to increase the capacity. In, oh, increase the their poor capacity. oil companies! They were showing, they, <laughs> you know, they, they consistently show profits. I mean, they've got us by the short hairs. Yeah, there were some, then, you know, there were some oil companies, that, you know, some small oil companies that were losing money during the during the pandemic. That's why Jared Kushner went over and negotiated a two and a half or two point two million barrel a day oil production cut with the Saudis, which got the price of oil back up to the point where they were making money again. But they were only losing money for a couple of months there because, uh, you know, we went into lockdown in March and I believe it was May that they did that production cut. I might be wrong. It might have been June. But, um, you know, I, <laughs> Scott. I, I, I find that humorous, I suppose, would be the word. Steve in Chloride, Arizona. Hey, Steve, thank you. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? You were warning us about Trump's intentions well before January 6th, that he was sending signals that he was going to do this. I wanted to point out that in the 2012 election, when Obama was facing Romney, Early in the evening, when less than 60% of the votes were counted, maybe about 10 or 11 o'clock, it appeared that Obama was winning the electoral vote and Romney was ahead by about a half a million votes. And Trump posted on his website, this is 2012, something to the effect, this is not an exact quote here, that this is a travesty, we're winning the popular vote, we can't let this happen, we should all go down to the White House and march with torches and pitchforks. Really? Something to that effect. Yes, and this can be researched. It was taken off his website four hours later. So this is not the first time that Trump has tried to incite anti-democratic violence. And I just wanted to point that out. How do I, you don't have if to, it's... You if, didn't have to have ESP fantastic ASP to think that this might be coming. Was this anybody was, 2012. was anybody publishing articles about this, about the, Trump's assertion? I, that's how I heard about it. It was reported on the news. I did not see an article about it, hmm. but it was reported on the news. Wow. Wow. Well, Trump had been, I mean, you know, Trump was the guy who, who had ginned up the original birther thing. Uh, you know, that, that, was his, that was his entry card into Republican politics was, oh my God, oh, there's a black guy in the White House. He can't be legitimate. 
Absolutely. And I, I'll point out, too, I grew up in Trump's neighborhood in New York. Oh, and uh, it, it, his family was well known to be connected to mobsters and the KKK at that time. Yeah, his father was arrested in a Klan riot back in the 19-teens exactly. or 1920s. Um, well, exactly. And uh, what people may not know, in my neighborhood in Queens, when the first black people tried to move in, they were bombed out. Really? 1964, 1965. Yeah. yeah, and this would have been when Trump was working in his dad's real estate office, and he would write the letter C on an application for colored to say, no, don't rent to these people. This is back when they were basically, weren't they basically slumlords at that time? I mean, that's Jared Kushner's business right now. He's a slumlord. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how they made their money, by getting thousands of apartments and not taking care of them. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and was the mob really active in that community? Not in my community. In, in, in Manhattan, yes. This is the 60s, so we had mm -hmm. all the mob families. Right. And uh, Trump's father, as people know, was associated with mobsters. Yeah. And in and, and certain ways, since I don't have the facts, I don't want to say on the air what I think. So I'll leave it at that. Well, and, and Trump Tower, I mean, I think it's, it's fairly well known that Trump Tower was built out of concrete rather than steel because the, uh, the local country, concrete contractor um, was a mafia family. And uh, at least from, from articles that I've read, I, I can't say this for sure or from personal knowledge, but um, it has been reported, shall we say. Um, right, in the same was, way it was rumored in, in my neighborhood and when I was talking about those bombings that it, the KKK was responsible for it. It was rumored that Trump's father was using the mob to help him with evictions. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Steve, thanks. Thanks uh, for the one call. One thing quickly. I found you on, three, on uh, my cable network three years ago. Thank you for your services, country. Yeah, well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for watching Free Speech TV. I think this is... Uh, an absolutely fascinating moment in history. Donald Trump was preparing the ground for this way back. Uh, let me just share with you some of his uh, tweets. This was in uh, 20, 2016, during the 2016 primary. Trump tweeted, Serious voter fraud in Virginia, New Hampshire, and California. So why isn't the media reporting on this? Serious bias, big problem. In January 2017, USA Today reported that on January 23rd, the new president told congressional leaders that between three and five million illegal votes caused him to lose the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. Uh, in April of 2018, he said, uh, Trump said to a group of supporters and reporters, in many places like California, the same person votes many times. You probably heard about that. They always like to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, folks. Millions and millions of people. And he added that Democrats want sanctuary cities because they think they're going to vote Democrat. And then after the 2018 midterms, Trump was alleging massive voter fraud in Florida. He tweeted, the Florida election should be called in favor of Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis, and the large numbers of new ballots showed up out of nowhere. And it goes on and on. In January 27th in 2019, he tweeted, 58,000 non-citizens voted in Texas with 95,000 non-citizens. I mean, they just literally make this stuff up. Oh, 58,000 non-citizens, huh? Yeah. Where's the proof? There is none. There literally is none. So Trump laid the ground for this thing, for this, this uh, mind-boggling um, effort to overturn the election of 2020. He laid the ground for it by alleging that there was this widespread voter fraud across the United States. 
and that that was something that we should all be paying attention to. Paul in Spooner, Wisconsin. Hey, Paul, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind today? I think the most disturbing thing I've heard so far is when we just heard recently, like last 10 minutes ago, was that Donald Trump put out the false statement that Pence was on board with him, that they believed that this could happen. And that's what was inciting these rioters to go. That's but a great point. Sadly, we, we learned now that it was Pence that was trying to save our democracy, that we really didn't understand that um, at the time. And that's what the, the biggest thing we've learned so far today. And when you also look back and say, you know what? We could have had this happen at the end of the Clinton era, you know, uh, with the deal down in Florida. So if, if, if they really want to operate this way, they better be careful. But sadly, the people that are the supporters of Trump and are not hearing what's going on are not listening today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of really good middle-road Republicans that are hearing this. And this might be the springboard for somebody like Pence to come back and run for president and actually win, um, sadly. But um, I got to give him a little more credit because he, from the beginning, they said he wasn't buying it. Even though the disillusion president who he had is out there telling everybody purposely against his own vice president, lying against him, yeah. about him. Yeah, I, I think, Paul, what we're looking at is the beginning of the Republican Party internecine wars, you know, the, the within the party wars between the between the uh, Cheney Pence fashion uh, faction, excuse me, and the, right. and the and the and the Trump humpers. And uh, Cause, cause I felt I, yeah, I felt that Trump, I mean, that Pence all along was nothing but a yes man for Trump. But now I'm finding out that, you know, in the end, he was a yes man during the period of time. But he had to serve under him. But once he realized the game was over, he wasn't going to be a yes man anymore. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess, what we learned about him. That was disturbing to see that our president would have done that to him. Well, and, and, it, and basically said, if you don't, if you don't vote this way, you won't be my friend anymore. I thought to myself, what a child. Yeah. Well, nobody ever accused Donald Trump of being a mature adult. I mean, it's like, you know, Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks, your day. thanks a lot for the call, Paul. Victor in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Victor, what's on your mind today? Uh, right. Something certainly isn't adding up, huh, Tom? Yeah. Donald Trump was uh, pressuring Mike Pence from, the, uh, from early December not to certify the results. And yet here we go with... Uh, they're now testifying that all this took place on the 4th, 5th, and 6th. But in actuality, they all knew that Mike Pence was not going to certify the election probably by mid-December. Yeah. That's why they went along with the second part of their desperate plan, and that was to invade the Capitol. Yep. And they did so in order to scare the heck out of the congressman, Nancy Pelosi, and Mike Pence, hoping that they would leave the Capitol. And in that way, it would shut down the whole certification process. Yep. They knew already that Donald Trump and his attorneys knew that Mike Pence was not going to certify, decertify the election. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest so, points, is that, is that Trump was just stringing people along when he gave that speech on January 6th and said, well, maybe Mike Pence will do the right thing and maybe he won't. And if he doesn't, we won't be happy, or words to that effect. Right. He was just stringing them along and also to cover his butt. And, yeah. and uh, you know, but the, the whole plan was actually to invade the Capitol, to get the congressman to leave, 
because they were under threat of, of their life. They were also trying and to snatch the ballots. Huh? They were also trying to snatch the ballots, and two young women who were who were congressional aides grabbed that box of ballots and and took them and hid them. Exactly, and because that was the first exactly. place they, they went. I mean, you know, they they were trying to get the ballots. You were right. They knew exactly where the ballots were. Yep. But smart thinking Democrats moved the ballots. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if they were Democrats, I, you know, but they were congressional staffers. Oh, I yeah, mean, this whoever. was this was not even a decision that a member of Congress made. It was, this was some you know quick thinking young people. God bless them. Um, well, anyway, the, the final invasion, what, the final plot to the whole story was the invasion of the Capitol. Yeah. The only, that was their last desperate act in order to say, like, to, to uh, take the ballots away or to chase the congressman and Mike Pence out of the Capitol building. Well, and here's another piece that I, I did not hear reference during the hearings today. And, and let me know, Victor, if you did. Uh, and that was that on January 5th, Senator Chuck Grassley said that he was going to count the ballots. Now, he would be, if Mike Pence was dead, then the, uh, the president pro tem of the Senate is, is who's, you know, the, the law and the Constitution says the president pro tem of the Senate shall count the ballots. Well, the president of the Senate is typically the vice president. But in 1876, yeah. the vice president was dead. And so a Republican senator who was the, pre who was the longest serving senator became the president pro tem. And now today, if Mike Pence had been killed or just whisked away then, you know, by the Secret Service, which Trump was apparently trying to get them to do, then Chuck Grassley would have been the president pro tem and he would have read the uh, ballots. And what the hell yeah. is up with that, right? Yeah, you're right. They were they were using every conceivable, uh, you know, legal or illegal method of trying to get uh, the decertification of the ballots or have, like you say, Grassley count the ballots if Mike Pence uh, was suddenly taken away by the Secret yep. Service or killed. Right. If, I mean, There's they a had a gallows. Part. Yeah, there are. Mike Pence never was going to go along with this scheme to repeat, essentially, the election of 1876. The election of 1876 strategy, which is what Eastman was laying out, was not any longer legal because the law had been changed a decade later in 1887 with the Electoral Count Act, and therefore the scheme would have violated that law. And Pence acknowledged that, and even John Eastman acknowledged that at one point. And then the other thing that I, I would like to point out is that on January 5th, now the law, the Constitution, or the, the law, I guess the, uh, the 12th Amendment says that the, well, it is the Constitution, says that the president pro tem of the Senate shall count the votes, right? Shall open and read the votes and count the votes. Now, that is typically the vice president. In 1876, the vice president was dead. The vice president was a Democrat, but he was dead. So it would have fallen, to, so it did fall, in fact, to a Republican senator and thus the crisis. This year, or in 2020, if Mike Pence had been dragged out and hung, or on 2021, January 6th, if he had been dragged out and hung as the crowd wanted to do, or if he had been whisked away by the Secret Service, as Trump had sent the Secret Service to do, then Chuck Grassley would have read the votes. And Chuck Grassley, I, I want to know, was he in on this? Was he planning on reading the votes and then saying, no, nah, we're not going to go with this? Jim in uh, Bardstown, Kentucky. Hey, Jim, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind? Well, uh, thanks for taking my call, Tom. 
I appreciate your show. Um, now I'm a Republican, and I usually listen to your show for opposition research to see what see what the other half of the country is thinking. But I appreciate everything you do. Well, thank you. The, um, my hope is that these hearings and and, and I'm, I may be uh, may be a false hope. I'm hoping that uh, people who uh, are big fans of Donald Trump, as I used to be, but I'm a reformed uh, Republican now after seeing the light. Uh, that that these hearings will open some eyes. Yeah, I agree uh, with you. Kind of like, kind of like that moment in the old Andy Griffith movie. Uh, rises to fame as a uh, character and gets into politics, and everybody sees he holds everybody in contempt at the end of the movie, and they leave him. Well, I think that's uh, that's where we're at with Donald Trump. I think you're right, Jim. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Democrats who are wringing their hands in despair. Well, a lot of Republicans, for that matter. I mean, you guys have to be uh, even more outraged than I am that your party has been hijacked by a con man and a grifter. I think this might be the opening uh, scene of the Trump humper versus real Republican wars. You know, the, the, the Liz Cheney, Mike Pence faction. Are you hearing the same sort of thing from your Republican sure. colleagues and friends, Jim? Oh, yeah. We, uh, in fact, uh, our party reorganization last fall, we ousted the uh, the Trump faction and kind of school Republicans kind of took, came back to power. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, we're seeing that on a microcosm scale here. Amazing. Jim, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks for listening to Sirius right. XM. I do appreciate it. I look forward to future conversations with you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.